Welcome. This is Legal Wise with Ted Eccles, a show dedicated to helping you find peace of mind through being well-informed and up-to-date. We want to help you defeat procrastination and provide information on legal matters that matter to you. I'm Ted Eccles, attorney, and you can reach us at LegalWiseGA.com. If you have a legal question, or particularly an estate planning question, go to our website and write to us. We try to address questions that you, our listeners, will find interesting and helpful. You can also join us as part of our free virtual estate planning workshops. To register, give us a call, 770-506-9092, or visit our website at LegalWiseGA.com. We've got a great lineup for you today on Legal Wise with Ted Eccles. We'll answer questions regarding shared driveways. Inheriting real estate, a power of attorney, selecting a business organization. We have a question about the probate process and the risk of falling objects, and we'll hear from a special guest. So let's get started. Ron has a question. He says, several years ago, my wife and I purchased a home. Our house has a shared gravel driveway with our next-door neighbor. The driveway's in rough shape, and we need to add some gravel. I'm willing to use my tractor to smooth it out, but my neighbor is refusing to help pay for the load of gravel. What can I do? Interesting question, Ron. We see this situation more times than you might think. Sometimes these situations are created where a family member gives some property to an adult child so that they can build a house on their property and the child wants to save some money so they share some or all of the driveway to get back to their property. This works out well with family members, but it presents a problem when the child later wants to sell. They typically don't want to incur the expense of creating a new driveway on their way out. The new owner may not be as friendly or cooperative in taking care of the driveway. This situation also happens in circumstances where a governmental body refuses to allow a large number of curb cuts on a state highway or busy road. So the government forces a property owner to create a shared driveway for a number of lots. This shared driveway is typically accompanied by a driveway easement or agreement. If the agreement is drafted properly, it will usually include an obligation of each owner utilizing the easement to share in the cost of the maintenance. So Ron, you may want to consult with an experienced attorney and review the terms of your driveway easement if you have one. This easement will also typically include the mechanism to enforce the terms of the easement, including how to compel the other property owners to contribute for the driveway's maintenance. If other property owners also share the driveway, you may want to talk with them and see if they are willing to share in the cost to seek relief against the reluctant owner. Thanks for the question, Ron. If you have a question for LegalWise with Ted Eccles, contact us at LegalWiseGA.com. You're listening to LegalWise with Ted Eccles. Daryl has a question for us. He's asking, in January, my father passed away. His will states that I am the beneficiary of two acres of land he owns down the street from his house. 
After the probate process was completed, I received a deed for the land from my estate. My friend told me that I had a stepped-up basis in the land. Do you mind explaining the meaning of basis and stepped-up basis? What does that mean for the land that I inherited? Well, thanks for the question, Daryl. First, let's define what basis is. Basis is the cost or investment that you've made in the object or service. Basis is important to consider because your basis is not taxed. Rather, your gain from the sale is what is taxed. The gain is the amount over your basis you're receiving as a result of a sale. To calculate gain, you take the amount given to you in exchange for what you're selling and subtract your basis from that. The amount given to you does not have to be cash, but it can be the value of services or an assumption of debt, just to name a few. For example, if you purchase some land for $25,000 and sell it for $50,000, your gain is $25,000 because your basis, or what you paid for it, is $25,000. So now let's talk about the term stepped-up basis. A stepped-up basis is relevant in a situation like yours involving someone receiving property as a result of their death. The federal tax code provides that when a beneficiary inherits something from the decedent, that's the person who died, the basis in whatever was inherited is the fair market value of that property at the time that that person passed away, rather than what they had paid for it. So, Daryl, because of a stepped-up basis, your basis in the land from your father is not what he paid for it. Rather, the stepped-up basis is the fair market value of the land at the time he passed away. So, when you go to sell the land in the future, you must recognize any amount over the value of the land at the time of your father's death as a gain. And that will likely be subject to a tax. So I hope this helps, Daryl, and thanks for the great question. You're listening to Legal Wise with Ted Eccles. Franklin has a question. He says, My mother has recently been transferred from her rehab facility into a nursing home. I've been serving as her power of attorney for the past two years. My family and I recently looked at her last will and testament, which is very old, and realized that changes need to be made. As her power of attorney, can I change her will? Well, a great question, Franklin. A power of attorney is a document that allows someone to appoint a representative to assist them with decisions relating to their assets and property during their lifetime. A power of attorney must be in writing and meet certain formalities required by Georgia law. A common misunderstanding is that the representative under a power of attorney must be an attorney. However, in the context of a power of attorney, the word attorney simply means representative. The person serving as the agent is called an attorney in fact and can be anyone that the maker of the document believes will serve the interest of the maker. Powers of attorney can be quite broad and can allow the agent to assist with a wide variety of decisions, including the ability to open and close bank accounts, buy and sell real estate, and even change the beneficiaries of an insurance policy. 
the law imposes a duty on the agent under a power of attorney to act only in the best interest of the maker of the document and to make decisions in a prudent manner. So, Franklin, as the attorney, in fact, of your mother, you most likely have the authority to make many decisions for her relating to her property and assets. However, an agent does not have the authority to make a will for the person they're serving. Fortunately, there's no restriction on a person's ability to personally make a will, even while they are residing in a rehab facility or a nursing home, so long as that person has the legal capacity to make a will. So your mother may be able to personally make a new will if she's able. Franklin, your mom's situation highlights the necessity to maintain an updated estate plan. There are some attorneys, like those at Eccles Law Group, who will work with a person, even those who are not physically able to travel to their office, to execute the documents they need in a legally sufficient way. Thanks for the question, Franklin. You're listening to Legal Wise with Ted Eccles. Hey, we're joined today on Legal Wise with Ted Eccles by Monica Bernal with Real Estate by Monica's team with Keller Williams. Uh, she serves all of Metro Atlanta. Uh, welcome, Monica. Hey, Ted. Thank you for having me. You are welcome. Thank you for joining us. We will jump right into some questions because uh, it's a fascinating topic that I wanted to cover today with you regarding rental property. So we've got many listeners of Legal Wise with Ted Eccles who are property owners, and they are considering renting their house to a tenant instead of selling it. What are a few risks that they should consider? That's an excellent question, especially with this market. I would say the first thing to consider as a risk is the prices changing. So if they are looking to sell within a year or so, I would say now it's the best time to sell because the inventory is super low. So we are really getting a really good response on prices. The second thing that I would definitely consider is the condition of the property. And if the homeowner is able to make repairs or, you know, anything needed to be able to lease it. And I would also consider the return on the investment monthly. So kind of consider if it's gonna be feasible for them to pay the mortgage and still get a good return on investment because a lot of uh, times people don't consider that the highest cost of renting comes when the tenant leaves. So every time a tenant leaves the property, they'll they'll have to have, you know, some some type of money set aside to make repairs. Okay. So in thinking about this rental idea, what are some reasons that a lease arrangement may not work? I would say the main reason is for not hiring a property management. The main reason is not screening correctly. Um, the other reason is the maintenance cost. Older homes require more maintenance and possibly more repairs. 
the other reason is because of the maintenance and the in the repairs, maybe the cash flow is not offsetting the mortgage cost. So those are the main reasons why um, leasing doesn't work. You had mentioned using a rental management company. Is that one of the things that you found that that people who try to rent on their own they they become discouraged and then and then just want to sell the property because of the things associated with renting? Absolutely. There is a lot of things that uh, come into um, place when renting a property. The main thing is screening the tenant correctly. So property management companies know what to look for and they can identify red flags before getting a tenant into the property. So I, I would say definitely there is a lot of things that um, are there to consider also being the one the homeowner being responsible for collecting the rent month by month it, it really is not a good idea it's better to have the property management be the one collecting the rent and then it's treated like a business and the tenants also see it like a business mm-hmm. and i have heard horror stories sort of going along with uh, what you're suggesting that that the hot water heater goes out on the weekend, that the the roof starts leaking in, you know, one night during a storm and, <laughs> yes. and the homeowner is getting all of these calls and it begins to really become a, a bother to them. A burden. Absolutely. Yeah. So in thinking about, uh, as, as maybe one of our listeners is, is uh, saying, well, is my house a good house uh, and a good candidate to rent? What is the optimal size and condition that you think about as being, that would be a great rental property? So as a rental property, I would say the most popular rentals are a four bedroom, two bath. Uh, one bedroom, I mean, one bathroom, it's always been a challenge to rent, even if you have three bedrooms. So if you do go with a three bedroom, I would say do a three, two. And, uh, and if you want to maximize the return on your investment, you know, people really go for four bedrooms, um, two bath. Newer homes are also very appealing. People do love newer homes, especially two stories. Um, those rent and those bring you like long, longer term tenants and properties with a garage as well. Those are popular. Good school districts. So we've talked a lot about uh, the leasing arrangement, but what if you're not wanting to sell your house, but you're just not sure about the traditional leasing arrangement? What are some other options that a homeowner might can consider? That's an excellent question. So if you want to have keep the property and want to produce income and you don't want a long-term tenant, there is also Airbnb. Airbnb is very popular nowadays and, you know, it grants access to the owner after every stay. They're not called tenants. They become guests. So it's almost operating as a little hotel. Okay. And so you don't have to worry about those eviction headaches that are normally go with a tenant 
situation? Correct. There is no evictions on Airbnbs. Are there locations that are better than others when you're thinking about an Airbnb? Absolutely. Definitely. When it comes to Airbnb, it's location, location, location. So if, if you are purchasing a property with the sole intent to Airbnb, you definitely want to be on a good, popular location like, you know, downtown Atlanta or near a stadium or near a conference center, like a business center, um, the beach, of course, the mountains. So it's all about location. However, um, let me tell you, there is a high need for Airbnbs here in Henry County for families. Let's say we are closing on a house today. They don't have nowhere to go. They're closing on the house that they are buying next month. So they need like a 30-day rental. So that's actually something that it's it's being a high need in in this county. So I would say that that it's also a good location. And for that, it would be good to have, you know, either a property management or a good contact with local realtors so that they can market the property to these families that need short-term rentals. Yeah, you've mentioned the having a property manager when you're uh, considering leasing property. So you think it's a good idea when you're doing the Airbnb as well? Yes, absolutely. Uh, unless you want to learn the business and do it as a business and you want to own multiple properties and this is going to be your full-time job, um, I would say let the professionals do what they do best because they already know how to run it. You will need a host. So a host is the person that will be almost like your concierge, like be in contact with your guests and making sure that they are being served, that the property is in excellent condition and needs to be clean, uh, freshen up. So I would say if it's your only property that you just don't want to sell, if you just don't want to deal with tenants, just let the professional do that. Hey, this has been some great information, not only on leasing, but this this uh, idea of Airbnb. So we've been uh, joined today on Legal Wise with Ted Eccles by Monica Bernal. Monica, if they want to learn more about um, leasing or, or even this Airbnb issue, how can they contact you? Okay, so we don't do property management, Ted, and we don't do Airbnbs either. I will be their contact if they want to purchase a property or decide if it's a good time to sell for them or even if their Airbnb is a good option for them. So we will be more than happy to assess their property and go over details. We are located in Stockbridge. Um, literally, uh, our number is 678-782-7711. And they can also reach us or search us on www.hometeam.com. Okay. Well, thanks again, Monica. And we look forward to talking with you again soon. Thank you. Thank you. See you next time. Terry has a question. She asks, I am thinking of starting a new business. What's the difference between an LLC and a corporation? Well, great question, Terry. Congratulations on moving forward with your business idea. Here at Legal Wise with Ted Eccles, we love the entrepreneurial spirit and the drive to try new things.
You are wise to consider a business organization for running your business instead of simply being a sole proprietor. When you operate a business without creating a business organization like a corporation or an LLC, which is sometimes called a limited liability company, you're likely missing out on some tax advantages and liability protections offered through these organizations. An LLC is an organization created by filing documents with the Secretary of State, and it comes into existence when the Secretary of State issues a document called a Certificate of Organization. An LLC is a little less formal than a corporation and can be managed by all of the owners of the LLC or can be managed by a person or persons designated as managers. There are many tax advantages to organizing your business through an LLC, but the full benefits available may depend upon the type of activity, service, or goods being offered by the business. A corporation is also organized with the Secretary of State. It's a popular organization method, and many small businesses seek out a status called S-Corporation, so that the business's profits and losses flow through to the owner's personal returns, rather than being taxed at the corporate level. Deciding the type of organization that's best for your business should be done in coordination with the CPA, who can advise on the various tax advantages available based on the specific type of business being conducted. Thanks for the question, Terry. Good luck with your business venture. You're listening to LegalWise with Ted Eccles. If you have a question, go to LegalWiseGA.com. Shanti has a question. She says, My father recently passed away and has a will that leaves all of his property to me. When I went and talked to the probate court, the clerk says that prior to having the will probated, I have to notify all of his heirs at law, including his children from a previous marriage. Why is that required if he has a will that leaves all of his property to me? Well, I'm sorry for the loss, Shanti. You've identified a challenging area of probate law often encountered where a person has been married multiple times or part of a blended family situation. First, the heirs at law of a man who dies with children include all of his children, no matter when they are born or who their mother is. If the man was married at the time of his death, his spouse is also an heir at law. The difficulty presented with your question is the reality that the court requires that all of the heirs at law be notified so that they will have an opportunity to object to the will being offered for probate. So Shanti, if your siblings file an objection, the process could be delayed by several months while the court prepares for a hearing to address their objections. The Georgia rule is designed to provide protection for the deceased person's true wishes. So the court will review the will being offered to ensure that the alleged will satisfies the legal requirements for a will. That the will wasn't executed under duress or when the person was incompetent. And that it contains the true wishes of the deceased person. So Shanti, assuming the will satisfies all of the legal requirements and represents your father's true wishes, the court will likely eventually allow you to move forward with probating it. Because the probate process is legal in nature, you'll likely want 
an attorney to represent you throughout this process. As a side note, to avoid these probate issues, many people consider making a living trust as the hub of their estate plan so that the property put inside the trust will not be handled in the probate court. A living trust allows the avoidance of the entire probate process. I hope the probate process goes well for you, Shanti. You're listening to LegalWise with Ted Eccles. If you have a question, go to LegalWiseGA.com. I have owned a horse for most of my life. As a child, I would ride with my brother and father down to the farm where my dad was a dairyman and ride a pony that shared a pasture with the cows. I continued to own a horse well into adulthood. One evening a few years ago, I traveled several miles away to a hayfield and loaded my truck with hay to bring back to a barn at my house. On the way back, I turned a corner a little too quickly and a bale of the hay fell off the truck and into the road. Fortunately, there was no car behind me and I managed to retrieve the hay bale without incident. But what would have happened had it damaged a car or worse, caused a crash? Georgia law is clear. It is a violation of the law to drive on a road with a load that is not properly secured. When something falls from your vehicle while on the road, it is hard to argue that the load was properly secured. Because there is a law that governs the securing of a load, a violation of that law will likely be deemed negligent. Therefore, if the hay bale falls from a vehicle and damages a car or results in an injury, the driver of the vehicle will likely be liable. If you find yourself buying a mattress, picking up some pine needles, or moving some furniture, properly securing that load is not optional. Take a little extra time and add an extra tie strap to avoid a potential traffic citation and, more importantly, to keep others safe. You're listening to LegalWise with Ted Eccles. If you have a question, go to LegalWiseGA.com. You've been listening to LegalWise with Ted Eccles. I hope you've enjoyed the show. If you have any questions or want more information, contact us at LegalWiseGA.com or give us a call, 770-506-9092. While legal advice can help, we know that true peace is found through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Join us next week as we answer more interesting questions from listeners just like you. The Information Comments and opinions expressed in Legal Wise with Ted Eccles do not constitute legal advice. The topics discussed and opinions given are general in nature and not intended to create any legal relationship or opinion about specific circumstances. No attorney-client relationship has been or will be formed by any communication or legal discussion, and no representation is made regarding your particular legal rights. For legal advice, contact an attorney actively practicing in your jurisdiction.